Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me here as always, our co-host Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? Uh, I'm doing great, Parker. I took the day off work today and yet somehow managed to work six hours anyway. Um, I'm a grind boy. Many people are saying it. Uh, how are you? I, I'm not saying that word. Um, I'm doing doing all right. Yeah, I had a had a little stagnant morning this morning, but uh, I feel like I've I've hopped back on the horse of productivity. And you know what? We have a little maction tonight to um, to uh, occupy our time. So I'm pretty pretty excited about that. Are you, have you watched any of this uh, Mac football going on? I've had it on in the background, and to be honest with you, I'd forgotten about it. Um, I, I was going through uh, a website that I use to make vested interests in certain events, and I uh, bet on the golf tournament this weekend and a couple NFL games and some early lines for Saturday, but I completely forgot about Maction. So I, I've just kind of had it on and been following along. Um, you know, I, I think if this would have been the start of the year, I'd be jacked to watch Bowling Green, uh, but midway through the season, it's like, okay, we get it. Well, I have some, well, one, uh, I have some bad news. Dustin Crum threw an interception tonight. Uh, your, your friend and mine, friend oh, no. of the podcast, Dustin Crum, uh, 164 yards, one touchdown, 15 for 23, but he has thrown an interception, which is pretty disappointing. So, mm-hmm. um, back when everything closed down and the Mac canceled their season, I tweeted at Dustin Crum and said, you should come to TCU. And then he followed me. And then I tweeted about him following me and he promptly unfollowed me. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I, I would love to see Dustin Crum at a TCU uniform. That'd be very, very fun. And it would probably also uh, bolster our recruiting class a little bit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I want to go down the 2021 class. I was talking today and doing some math. We're just going down a rabbit hole for a second. I was doing some math about like everyone can stay, right? And TCU's 2021 recruiting class is terrible right now. And so I was kind of doing some math about like TJ Stormont come play a six year. Like there, there's some, there's some possibilities for some guys who could stay and have really productive years because they're like 26 and everyone else is 21. I mean, Stormont's barely playing a fifth year. Well, I think you could get it. I think you could just round up. Yeah. I think, I think uh, I mean, that, you know what I mean? Like it, you, it yeah. If he wants to see the field more, you can definitely stick around. I, I think that's going to have to happen because the recruiting class that, is, is almost non-existent. It's not that it's bad. It's that it doesn't exist. Uh, so we'll see. But I, I do think that's a topic for a different time. Uh, I'm just kind of putting off researching it because it makes me sad. Um, it does. I feel I also you- compelled because uh, we, we talked about Maction. We talked about my boy, Dustin Crum. Uh, I take every opportunity to mention that Kent State head coach, Sean Lewis, is a Viking. He is a Norse god. He is like, eight feet tall and he's bald and has a huge beard. And, uh, and that's just important to note about college football, that there's actually like Thor's second cousin is, is coaching a college football team. On, he does look like a Viking on Wikipedia. First off, do you know where he played college ball? I've looked this up cause I've looked at regional ties. I think he was Midwest. I want to say he played at like Indiana, Wisconsin. So right close. colors. Very close. Yes. His he's a tight end and a long snapper. Yeah, well, Wikipedia has tied in. It also has kick returner, which I would pay money to see that man rumbling down the field, uh, toting the rock. Yeah, um, remind me about this later, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look up and see if we can get a video on that. I know. Yeah, I'm gonna kind of do a little bit of research. Uh, yeah, but no, match is fun. I'm, I'm glad it's back. Um, if anything, it just kind of adds a little bit more. I'm, uh, for you, I'm certain it will um, create some more data points to kind of gauge 
power five teams against. And it will also just give us ideas to, uh, to suggest to TCU football that they won't implement. So there's that. They do run a fun offense. It's actually pretty, pretty simple. Um, and, and I like it a lot. So yeah, plenty of, plenty of things to watch, plenty of random, uh, random things with which to entertain myself uh, when, when TCU things are, are going poorly. Yeah, for sure. Also, I, I am, I'm looking this up. He did not uh, return kicks. I cannot find a video to save my life. He did play quarterback in high school, though. More, anyway, we are weird out of Sean. More Lewis fake Rock. news on the internet, Grant. Gosh. More, more fake news. I, you, you hate to see it. The, the seventh-ranked player in Illinois, by the way, when he graduated. Uh, Parker, do you want to talk about – look, Texas Tech's always weird. And I think I feel like we say that every week because I'm convinced that TCU does not know how to play a normal game. But to kind of ramp that up to 11 whenever the, uh, the Red Raiders are, are, are on the schedule. Yeah, so I, I think it's now the the away team has won six of the eight matchups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. Since TCU's rejoined the Big Twelve. Um, yeah, so that that alone is, is is pretty crazy. Just in terms of you, you'd think over the course of the years that would that would average out. And there have been some, yeah, there have been some pretty pretty bad games. Uh, Overall, I mean, you can think about the highlights of like 2015 where, you know, you needed the, the Josh Doxon, Aaron Green combined touchdown to win. You can think about TC scoring, what was it, 82 points and running out of fireworks mm-hmm. um, just, to, just to prove a point. Uh, and then you can think about, you know, I, I, I think the 2013 game was like, what, 20 to 23? It was uh, 20 to 10. 20 to 10. It wasn't even that close. Yeah, and it was just like this miserable, very bad game. So, um yeah, I, I, the, the, this series kind of sneakily has been the full gamut of oddities uh, because you even look at like the 2018, 14 to 17 loss where uh, maybe one of the most frustrating games of TCU history, yes. just sheerly because you absolutely should have won. I remember being at Fred's Blue Bonnet, RIP Fred's Blue Bonnet um, with my in-laws and getting up with like four minutes left in the fourth quarter and saying, I don't deserve this. I don't have to sit here and watch this. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Your in-laws have really put up with a lot watching TCU games with you. I'm, I'm cursed because they really like to drink beer and watch football. And so, you know, they, what a- <laughs> they steer into all my worst impulses. <laughs> you poor man. Yeah, I, uh, I, the, the 2013 game is the one I, I remember the most besides 55-52 uh, in 2015 because we watched it in the – uh, the basement lounge of Milton Daniel, uh, which was right next to my room when I was a freshman. And Oh, so you're super rich and you got to live in a nice dorm freshman year. Good, good. No, I, I was smart and I was in the <laughs> honors college. That's what it was. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, but everyone was just appalled. Like, no one was having a good time. Like Twitter, like non-TCU tech Twitter was tweeting about the fox that was running around the stadium. And like no one, I swear to you, in that lounge gave a damn about that fox because we were just so mad about the amount of penalties in that game, the ineptitude of everything that was happening. It was right after, or, or fairly recently after, TCU played LSU in uh, Jerry World, which was like a decent game, and then man alive, that was hideous. Uh, yes, it was. It was not. It was. It was not great. Uh, I, I I got sidetracked there for a second because I'm I'm on Wikipedia just looking up the old so games. In 2006, TCU won 12 to three. Two years earlier, Tech won 70 to 35. Yeah, 
there's there's a there's a whole history here that I am just so unfamiliar with. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's just a lot of great games. Like you have eighty two twenty seven. You have uh, the the fifty five fifty two overtime thriller. Um, you've got twenty seven to three in Sean Robinson's first start. The first start by a true freshman as a quarterback for Gary Patterson ever which is uh, wild to me, especially given that Max Duggan came in and started like nine games uh, his freshman year. I did see the graphic against Baylor that uh, ESPN put up that said, Max Duggan holds the record for true freshman passing yards for a TCU quarterback. And it was like, well. He has three, so yeah. He he does. He does do that because he started more games than every other TCU freshman quarterback combined. That Sean Robinson game was really windy. Wasn't it? I feel like I remember like it was like, dude, nothing is going to be completed today. And I think he had a good game on the ground. And there were, um, there were two, I think two defensive scores, uh, definitely one defensive score uh, and, and potentially another one that gave a short field. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I missed the first half of that game. because I was driving back from big spring to cover a high school football playoff game. It uh, turns out I did, I did not miss much. No, not at all. Um, yeah, so so this has been a weird game, um, back and forth. Kind of, kind of never have a good eye on it. TCU last year, if you'll remember, played very, very poorly. And I think this Grant, I, I'm not a villain. I'm not a villain. But I think if you were going to portray me as an internet villain in the world of TCU, my origin story would be the TCU Texas Tech game, where TCU had 500 yards of offense and still looked like absolute malarkey Oop. yes uh to, to use a topical word there and i just was so unhappy with the fact that tcu needed uh a a texas tech turnover a fumble on the last drive to win that game uh jordan brooks went out first round draft yep. pick linebacker yep. from texas tech which is a crazy thing to say jordan brooks went out of the game and tcu's offense somehow got worse there was a great Jalen rager touchdown perhaps the best dug into rager connection of all uh all time but tcu's offense looked really really bad and everyone wanted to say but 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 500 yards of offense and i let me tell you it was very very fortunate for the tcu offense that texas tech just fumbled the ball on their last drive which is kind of a how, how similar does that sound to TCU Texas this year? Because it's pretty much the same. The offense looked fine, and then we they had to get bailed out by the other team fumbling. Yeah, not great. It, not great. It, it's not what you want when you're trying to compete uh, beyond five wins in the conference in the Alamo Bowl. Well, and, and look, it, it's hard to – let me restart okay, that. Wait, it's, 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 <laughs> hold on, sorry. sorry. Think about that for a second. I can't hold this in. The, the ESPN headline for that Texas Tech TCU game last year was Song's fourth field goal pushes TCU past Texas. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Song is, was a gift. A really nice guy. Really happy for him. He, he was a good kicker. Uh, this, this game was also annoying because TCU's purple pants didn't match their purple helmets for whatever not. reason. So annoying. Sorry, you had a thought a there, and we'll, and we'll talk about. The I did. No, no. I, I, I think fans, and I, I doubt this extends to the coaching staff, but who knows? Kind of right off the Tech game, it's like, well, it's Tech. Something weird's going to happen. You know, we're, we're going to Lubbock. It's going to be windy. You know, the, the students are mean. You know, shout out. Uh, a couple of our listeners who are tech fans and the nice people we know from tech, but like 
it's always like, oh, well, you, you know, you can't really take stock in that game because they run like a fast-paced offense and they do all this stuff. And so just kind of an outlier. So, okay, but it's still games that TCU needs to win. And over the last four years, they've been two and two. And three of those games, they've looked really bad. Uh, it, really, the fourth one, too, with the Sean Robinson game, I mean, it was, it was a big margin, but they didn't look good in it. And so it's just kind of – it's frustrating to be like, oh, well – and I find myself doing it too, but you, you can't overlook tech just because it's weird. It, you know, it, I feel like Big 12 teams look at tech the way AAC teams look at playing Navy. It's like, oh, okay, God, I got the triple option this week. Like, okay, we got to get to love it this week. Like, well, there's still games you need to win. Yeah, and, and, and I think if you ask the average TCU fan, they would say, oh, we're, we're clearly ahead of tech as a program. But Grant, TCU is four and four against Texas Tech. In the in the Big Twelve era, um, yeah. the, this is this is a peer. This is our rival, and and TCU ceiling has certainly been higher than Texas Tech's. But I mean, TCU has not had any kind of consistent success against this program at all. No, none whatsoever. I mean, historically, I mean, not that this matters now, but historically, Tech's up thirty-two twenty-seven in the series. Um, 82-27 was not the biggest margin of victory in the series history. That was Tech beating TCU 63-7 to in 1985. 63 points in 1985 is a whole hell of a lot of points. Yeah, you know how like a dollar could get you like a gallon of milk and a dozen of eggs in 1985? Like 63 points might as well be 100 points. Yeah, holy cow. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, you, you have multiple, you just, you just have a lot of things converging this week in the game. And I think this is a fine transition, but like TCU grant has, has not won a home game this year. TCU is long from the days of hashtag protect the Carter. Uh, I don't even know if we were hashtagging at that point back when protect the Carter was actually a thing, but, um, TCU coming to Fort Worth for opposing teams has not been any kind of deterrent, any kind of substantial, uh, influence on the game, which is something profoundly un-TCU. Uh, and, and I guess some of that's the Big 12 for sure, but, but also it feels like that's a little bit of mojo that TCU's lost. And so you factor in the road team is very successful on this, uh, in this series, and you factor in the fact that TCU has been very bad at home this season. And you start to think, man, this is a game TCU maybe should win, but it, it's – there's a lot of there's a lot of external noise here. There is, I agree. Uh, I, I I don't necessarily know if, to your point about home field advantage, if the coronavirus and all that, and you know the stands not being full, plays a role in that. Um, I'm curious to see what the numbers would would tell us on that in terms of how home field advantage normally works, and if those numbers have been lessened by people not being there. But um, yes, no, th- this does seem like a it's a game that TCU desperately needs to win to have any shot at kind of salvaging the season a little bit. And it also feels one that is very, very possible to lose. Yeah. Well, so, so Texas tech comes to town this weekend. They rank 94th in SP plus overall. They're 51st on offense, but they are a hundred and thirteen. Uh, on defense and so that's out of all 130 teams that are playing and so that does that does compare to some preseason projected teams but still pretty bad uh texas tech started the season projected as 60th in sp plus and they've fallen all the way to 94th um in fact they have fallen every week except one 
uh, and that was their win over West Virginia, uh, which gave them a slight bump. Um, and, and so they come in and SP plus has this as a, uh, a 24% win probability for Texas tech, uh, a 12 point margin. So SP plus is very high on TCU this weekend. Um, and, and I, I'm inclined to believe them. TCU is ranked 50th in SP plus TCU has moved up, although I will note uh, the, the Coastal, uh, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers have passed TCU and SP Plus officially. As they should, for the record. Uh, I would TCU not want is, to play Coastal. TCU is 79th on offense and 30th on defense for a 50th overall ranking. Um, and, and so I think this game is actually a lot closer than, than statistics. Look, 12 points feels like a whole heck of a lot for a Texas Tech team that has been feisty in moments. You know, they uh, largely lost to Texas uh, in overtime. They were 10 points away from a Kansas State loss, and their quarterback got hurt. Iowa State, they kind of got rocked, but then they beat West Virginia, and then they put up some points against Oklahoma. So I think there's some offensive explosiveness here that is, that is a little bit disconcerting. Well, they put up points. They also had a ton of possessions because Oklahoma put up 60-something on them. Um, but they I, and they I wonder, did. So I, I actually this, – this is going out in the newsletter tomorrow. Um, but they uh, – basically, if you look at, like, points per drive, they, they've been averaging, like, 13 drives a game, um, which is well above kind of that 10 yeah. and a half, 11. Uh, non-garbage, 13 non-garbage drives a game. Um, and so like they're, they're kind of a potent offense, but it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit different when you kind of factor out, you know, three of their touchdowns against Oklahoma came when they were down 42 to seven. And so I don't put a ton of stock into those. I really don't either. And I I think it's, you know, tech's got to be one of those teams where they can kind of jump up and punch you. I do think Matt Wells is a good coach. I, I'm not crazy about his coordinators. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I think Texas a decent team, but but they're in the bottom half of the Big Twelve, and TCU should beat them. Should just take them seriously. That is to beat them. I mean, they have a backup quarterback. Is it Columbia or, or Columbia? I should probably know how to pronounce that. I've been saying Columbia in my head. Okay, great. Let's go with that. Henry Columbia, who has a decent arm, is an absolute statue in the pocket. However, uh, and yeah, yeah can I, like, I just I'll, point of? No, I was gonna say, hold on. Alan Bowman was never sacked. You know, I don't – so – and then uh, Colin – he, he's been sacked eight times since he took over the starting job. Yeah, yeah. So, so one, that, that's weird. He also has, what, three, four, five – I'm looking this on ad hoc. I know this is terrible podcasting. But he scrambled 16 times for 122 yards. And so designed runs, he is, he is not doing anything. But in the scramble game, he's very effective. And I actually, I actually looked at some of these numbers, and, and subscribers will get this in their inbox tomorrow. But Gary Patterson talked about how they had to defend the run against Texas Tech. And, and I think that that's bad because scrambles are pass plays, right? Like a designed pass play, you've yeah. got to think about how do we contain the quarterback. And TCU has been burned on the quarterback um, pretty consistently all year and, and, and Columbia can't move well, but uh, clearly if you give him space, he'll, he'll take what's there. So I'm actually 
I actually think TCU talking about the, the rush is, is a misnomer because Texas Tech really likes to pass a lot and Columbia really likes to, you know, grab four or five yards if he can't, if he can't throw the ball downfield. So I think that's totally fair. And I appreciate you calling me out on that. And I should refine that. I don't think he necessarily has a great timer in his head, um, which is why it takes a lot of sacks. And I also yes, want to point absolutely. something out, Parker. I want to point this out too. So uh, th- this is per uh, PFF uh, Pro Football Focus. And once I, golly, this website is hard their, to navigate. Their information is great. Their web app is 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 um, tough. Uh, boy. Okay, here we go. Um, so his pressure, passing under pressure, is extremely interesting. So when he's under pressure, he he is not a great passer uh his his rating is uh 50.9 okay and Which he who, normally who plays at a 76 who among us is when we're pressured sure sure absolutely but parker his highest rating is when he's blitzed Do, uh so I, I actually have some numbers on that um okay and so the reason that his highest rating is when he's blitzed is because they love two routes and the two routes that texas tech loves is uh kind of this like choice option seam and yep. then they love the hitch. And yep. Columbia has a head on his shoulders where if he's getting blitzed, they always have a hitch tag. And he's able to say, nope, we'll get three yards. That's fine. And he gets the ball out quick, and he benefits from that for sure. Right. I agree. And so I think the counter to that, if you, if you look at those numbers, is, okay, under pressure and not being blitzed. So, A, that would require TSU's defensive line to get pressure, which, okay, well, probably not going to happen. But – his, his, he's also not great when he's not blitz. And I think what that means, TCU needs to, like, commit to coverage. He may scramble, whatever, okay, put Winters or Wallow and spy him. But, but I, I don't think you need to blitz Henry Columbine to be successful. No, especially with what Kari Coleman's shown us. Um, yes. And saying, like, hey, I'm fine with the three-man rush. I think that Nook Bradford is more valuable than another rusher. Um I will note, I have, I have been advocating for TCU to play the three three five. I have been informed it is, in fact, the three two six, Which I uh, love. Big fan, but also, like, Kendrick Van Zandt is a linebacker. He's a small and fast linebacker, but he's a linebacker. So it's the three three five, three two six, six. you know, tomato, tomato, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think we'll see a lot of that front, uh, especially as the game goes on. Again, we can talk about the propriety of TCU starting in the four two five because they're worried about the run. And then realizing, oh no, we need to stop the pass, so we're going to go to this three-two-six look. But I, I think they'll they'll get there for sure. No, I do too. Uh, also, I do want to point out, uh, I can't remember the listener, and gosh, I'm so sorry for forgetting. But uh, one of, one of our listeners had a great point about TCU bringing in specific wide receivers to uh, on run plays and pass plays. Uh, Keyshawn Carter has uh, been on the field for 92 pass plays and. Uh, only, I think, 52 runs. Uh, Eric Ejikonma has been on the field for 216 passes and 123 runs. So, yeah, they Texas Tech does the exact same thing, and it's something you can easily pick up on. And hopefully the defense can, too, and adjust to that as well. For sure. Um, I, I will say about, about their passing offense, though, of, of Columbia's 134 targets, 74 of them, that's 55%, have been within five yards uh, of the line of scrimmage. And 33 of them, which is 25%, have been behind the line of scrimmage. So they are all about that screen life. They are all about that hitch life. They are, they are throwing those liberally. Um, but I will say, Columbia has thrown 17 deep balls, deep meaning 10 yards or further down the, down the field. 
uh, in the middle of the field, and they've completed 82.3. They thrive on the, on the seam route. So against Oklahoma, who runs a, you know, Grinch runs a similar personnel as, as TCU, even if it's not called the same. Uh, and, and so, well, let me tell you why I said that. I said that because TCU's kind of calling card is, well, we, we, have, a, we have a safety there, so you're really not going to attack the seam. Uh, yeah. And the way TCU's defense is designed, you don't attack the seam. Well, against Oklahoma, Texas Tech ran this RPO, and it was a possession receiver for uh, a, a possession reception for Azakama. But Columbia put the ball where it needed to go in between two safeties and and looked pretty dangerous. Uh, they attacked that seam really, really well, and TCU hasn't really been challenged in the seam at all. And so I'm really interested to see kind of that matchup between the safeties and, and, you know, that, that slot receiver who is looking to find the seam on the RPO. Yeah, I completely agree. And tech always does seem to get those wide receivers open. This is probably the part of the podcast where we should express how scared we are of tech's wide receivers uh, between as Carter, TJ Vasher, guys like that, that uh, they are really, really talented at wide out. And it is a shame, although I, some, that's not the color buys bad. It's just, uh, you know, I would have loved to see these wide receivers with like a really, really quality quarterback throwing them the ball because they could do a lot of damage. Absolutely. And and they're doing well with, with Columbia who has a pretty decent pass grade. Um, I think he's at where? Uh, he's His at pass 70 grade is 70, 76 on passing. And so like, yeah. that's not terrible. Uh, yeah. So Texas tech, it, it, the other thing I'll say about their, their offense totally is they're rushing really, really smartly. So they're only rushing on like 47% of their early downs, which is one of the, one of the lower totals in the nation. Um, but when they rush, they're, they're, they're successful on 47.3% of plays. So almost one in two rushes is, is a success. Um, and so that coupled with kind of those early down numbers indicates, hey, they're, they're rushing in obvious rushing situations and they're, they're pretty good at it. Passing, they're successful on 43.1% of their passes, which is a little low. But I think a lot of that is, is kind of what we talked about with Columbia and, and possession and, and being pressured. And, you know, him, him saying us getting three yards is better than me getting sacked. And so that success rate's a little bit low there. Uh, but, but it does look like they're able to kind of move the ball down the field. Their passing completion rate is about 68%, which is mm-hmm. 19th in the nation. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and there is a point I wanted to make earlier, and I, and I forgot, so I'll slide it in here. Um, you made a great point about how Tech kind of has those those staple routes in their offense, especially the hitch, you know, that kind of the combo choice route, stuff like that. Columbia and Wells know each other. I mean, Columbia was at Utah State and transferred to Texas Tech after the 2019 season. Um, so he was recruited by Wells, played for Wells, I think, for, for one year, if my math is right. And so, like, there's a reason, and David Yost as well, the Tech offensive coordinator. So there's a reason that he's been able to kind of integrate into this offense pretty easily uh, after Alan Bowman went down. Um, that's I'm not breaking any new ground there by saying that. I just felt that it was important that we address it. Yeah, absolutely. His, his, his biggest strength is his familiarity with the Wells offense for sure. Um, the, the last, maybe the last thing I have to say about the Texas Tech offense is that they're, they're kind of reminiscent of 2019 TCU. And so 2019 TCU's offensive calling card was, Hey, we're Ain't very bad. We're very bad on first and second downs, but in third downs, we'll make stuff happen, and that's going to kind of inflate your perception of us. So remember, there was all those stats about TC. Max Duggan has created the most value with his legs mm-hmm. out of any player. And you're like, well, yes, because Max Duggan was running for his life on third down. So 
uh, Columbia has, what, six touchdowns, and three of them have come on third down plays. Uh, Texas Tech is uh, only 66% of their first downs are coming on first or second down. So in one and three drives, they're reaching a, 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 a third down, or one and three series, they're reaching a third down. Um, and, and those are normally like third and short, but they're, they're not amazing at that third and short. It's, you know, a, a 70% success rate, which is 66 in the nation. So there is kind of this plague here where they, they really are creating plays on third down that over kind of overstate their value uh, because they're so bad on first and second down. But even when they get in that, you know, quote unquote, third and manageable, they're, they're really not able to do much with it. So I, I'm interested to see kind of, you know, rubber meets the road here of TCU's break but don't bend offense. Texas Tech has some explosive play potential, but they really don't have, they really don't have the efficiency uh, to extend drives to kind of give themselves opportunities for those break don't bend uh, big plays. For sure. And it's almost like they don't even have the plays in their playbook for the big play potential to take advantage of their wide receivers, which is really interesting to me. Um, like, I, I, not, I wouldn't go full Mike Leach, but with those guys on the team, like, you'd think you'd probably take more shots downfield. Yes, their, their yards per catch is pretty conservative all over. I mean, TJ Vasher is only 11.6, and uh, Izu Kanma is only uh, – he's, he's 13.4. But, I mean, if you look at, like, their air yards per target, uh, EZ has 9.5 and Basher has 12.1. So, like, they're really not breaking big plays with those guys. I know, which is super weird. Uh, I also want to point this out just because I'm a former editor uh, on uh, Columbia's Texas Tech bio. Uh, They have them playing the New Mexico logos. Uh, which I think is really interesting. Um, It would be a pretty fun mascot. You could just dress them out as, like, a different, like, you know, like, like the Microsoft logo, the Apple logo on, on different days. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, a lot of flexibility potential there. Um, this is the high-quality analysis that you subscribe to the Purple Theory Podcast for. Uh, Parker, do you want to talk about the defense? I do want to talk about the defense. A, another rabbit hole? Yeah. Uh, the, my, my, um, my name for the defense is uh, Rico Jeffers and his band of merry men. Because uh, besides mm-hmm. Rico Jeffers, there's not a lot of names you're going to recognize on this defense, which is kind of weird. Again, given that Texas Tech had a defender drafted in the first round last year, which is just mind blowing to me. Yeah, no, it, it's it's nuts. Um, you know, a, a lot is made about uh, this defense. So Keith Patterson, defensive coordinator, came with Wells from Utah State, um, and and they were really really good at forcing turnovers last year. Parker, I know I'm I almost think we talked about this last season when I wasn't even a, a full time I hadn't been promoted a full time co host yet at the Purple Theory podcast, but. Um, Turnovers are not a dependable commodity, correct? No. Well, one, don't blame me. Blame your agent. He was uh, he was downright <laughs> obtuse in those negotiations. So, um, yeah. So, so it's it's not that turnovers aren't a skill, right? Because if you consistently get turnovers, I'm prone to think, hey, that you're 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 good at this. You're doing something right. If you're consistently losing turnovers, I'm I'm prone to think, uh, okay, you're you're doing something kind of crazy. But we need to have a benchmark, right? And the benchmark for turnovers is not zero um, because there are so many situations that happen in football overall. And so the, the way that I like to think about this uh, in, in some part, I don't, I don't necessarily love this, 
but generally just saying like expected turnovers. So let's just take fumbles, all fumbles, ones you recovered and ones the defense recovered, and pass breakups, which include interceptions, but just say, did you defend a pass? Did you get a hand on it? Whatever. Mm -hmm. And let's multiply that times 0.5, right? Let's just say, I expect generally you should get half of the fumbles, half of the, if they're truly random, you'd get half of the fumbles and you'd get half of the pass breakups. There's some issues with that methodology, but it's a good baseline to just say like how different from complete random split of turnover like plays are you, are you getting? And Texas tech is minus 3.2 expected turnover margin. Um, wow. They are throwing contested passes. They are putting the ball on the ground. Um, and I think that's a huge opportunity for a TCU defense that really hasn't been super turnover uh, uh, a fine, I'll say. They haven't, they haven't had a proclivity for turnovers in the first couple of games. Uh, the amazing LeKendrick Van Zandt interception against Baylor aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I think that you couple that with um, the, the – Texas Tech defense isn't really forcing turnovers very often. Um, and you look at, they're, they're allowing a success rate of 48.9 on defensive plays. So one in two defensive plays is successful. And of course, some of that is you played Oklahoma and life is hard. But generally, this is, this is the worst defense that TCU was going to face all season, Kansas included. And that, that, that is uh, harsh, Parker. That is not good. Yeah, and and so, again, I think we've said this against – gosh, we said it about the defensive line against Kansas State's offensive line. We've said it in so many ways, uh, you know, against Baylor last week about about the defense and Charlie Brewer being bad. But, like, if there was ever a get-right, four-quarter, excellent game opportunity, Texas Tech is it. It It is absolutely it. I agree. Uh, so, if, if TCU screws around and scores 27 points and wins 27-13, I'm going to lose my mind on Sunday. You, you, you know, listen, I'm going to have an intervention with you on this podcast at some point, but you need to start being happier after wins. Look, no, uh, what is it, Little Giants? It, it's not worth winning if, it, if you don't win big. I'm fine I'm with wins. Here's the thing. Wins are great, but also, Grant, uh, I was, I, man was not born to live to die, right? It's a Bruce Springsteen quote. Man as a, former journalist, as a former journalist, I should really know a Bruce Springsteen quote. When it's kind of uh, old. It's from Mary Queen of Arkansas. It's a little off the beaten path. But all okay, I have to dirt. say, uh, I'm a nerd because I know Bruce Springsteen. No, whatever. Um, you're, you're a nerd because you know Bruce Springsteen's seaside lyrics. Not even seaside. <laughs> but all I have to say, uh, I thought fine. man was born to run. I like wins. Wins are cool. But here's the thing. I don't want the Alamo Bowl to be the best that TCU can do. I want TCU to compete for a playoff because they're in the freaking Metroplex full of talent and they're in a conference that is supremely thin and winnable. Realistically, you just have to do, you just have to put together a very good team and then beat Oklahoma and you're in the playoff. That's it. That is the easiest. The Big 12 has the easiest path to the playoff of anyone in the entire nation. TCU absolutely 
could be competing for a playoff. So sure, it is fine to say like, hey, you know what? Stop this negativity. You're, this isn't you. I'm making fun of a specific person on Twitter who's been really annoying. So like, hey, stop this negativity and uh, give it a rest because TCU won. And it's like, well, that's fine, but I don't think that's predictive going forward. Like, sure, they beat Baylor. They did everything they could do. If TCU didn't have a punt return against Baylor, it would have been a three-point game with Baylor having the ball with four minutes left. So if that's what you want to feel good about, great. That's not what I want to feel good about because TCU won that game largely outside of their control. Like, self-inflicted wounds, they did everything they could do to lose it, and Baylor said, nah, we're good. We're not going to win it. It's a joke I want to make, but I can't. Um, I'm interested in that. <laughs> I'll make it afterwards. Uh, I, uh, well, you know, a wise man once said Parker win by one anyway, so uh, winning big and necessarily concerned. Uh, I do want to point out one thing I noticed. So you and I watched different games uh, for when we were kind of scouting Texas Tech a little bit. Um, you watched Oklahoma, right? And did you watch any other games? No, just Oklahoma. Okay. I watched uh, most of Tech Kansas State. And one thing I noticed about what Tech did on defense there is that they really left the flats alone. Well, one, so, it's that they, they killed Skylar Thompson. Well, they did kill Skylar Thompson. That's true. But, but from the jump, they were Kansas State had a lot of room in the flats. Um, so Tech, if they were playing man or zone, would allow the catch behind the line of scrimmage and – Sometimes they make the tackle, sometimes they wouldn't. Again, their defense is not very good, so most of the times they did not make the tackle. Uh, but what worries me a little bit is that, yeah, you, I guess, could have some success there by you know uh, putting Zach Evans in, in the backfield and let him kind of float out as a check down. But I'm worried TCU will rely on that as a primary option, as they did against Baylor, and not bother throwing the ball down the field. It's like Tech's weakness will lure TCU into doing something dumb and conservative and bad. Yeah, which is that's a great weakness to have in, in that sense. And I don't doubt like Tay Barber with numbers is dangerous in the flats and screens. You know, we shouldn't throw those entirely out the window. But I would just be so more – look, man, I can say this till I'm blue in the face, but what's, what's the end game for TCU? The end game for TCU is 2021 should be an excellent year. And I just don't understand this attitude of scrape and claw and take what a super shitty defense gives you to win by one – really does towards that long-term development there. And so again, I said this about Kansas State last year. I said this about Purdue last year. I said this about second half against Baylor. You should beat Texas Tech. Absolutely, where TCU is as a program should beat Texas Tech, this Texas Tech team. Do not treat this like a win-by-one opportunity. Treat this like we are going to stab you and twist the knife as often as we can until they blow the final whistle. And that kind of attitude gets things like Quentin Johnston, Savion Williams, Pro Wells, downfield, gets, gets you these concepts that you're afraid of and says, hey, we have a long leash. We should get a lead and then practice these concepts in real time. We should work. And you know what? If we, if we turn the ball over, who cares? Our defense is very good. We'll have another opportunity to score and make it up. But Ultimately, if we care about 2021, games like Texas Tech, games like Baylor last, year, last week need to be intense practice sessions. And if you, you, you want to play down to them and say, we're going to win close and that's all we care about is the W, you're intentionally hamstringing your development. I, I will offer one. I, I agree with you completely, uh, although 
I, so I, I wrote, okay, this is going to go down a rabbit hole. I wrote something uh, for our weekend review. Uh, basically, hey, TCU is not at the point where we can afford to complain about wins over rivals. Um, so I, if you want my thoughts on that, subscribe to the Purple Theory newsletter because I've already uh, written them down. And I don't want to say them again. I do want to offer one other thing. Uh, we talked about this before the podcast. Uh, two of Texas Tech's bottom seven graded defenders on pro football focus uh, are their starting safeties, uh, including – I'm not making fun of the kid. I'm, I'm reading a stat here. Uh, Eric Monroe, safety, number 11, is the worst-rated player uh, on Texas Tech's defense by pro football focus. He has a 30.9 coverage grade, and he's played more snaps than anyone uh, on the Red Raider defense, coverage, line, whatever. So, yes, there are openings to attack. Which, which should make you really excited about going after them and two cornerbacks who, who have been targeted over 60 times. I mean, people are throwing the ball against Texas Tech. You should, you should continue to do that. I, yeah, no one is afraid to throw the ball against Tech. I mean, you know, Rico Jeffers is very good. He's an incredible tackler. You know, he, he's, he's good against – in all facets of the game. He's not a great coverage guy, but he's not, he's not going to kill you in coverage. But it, it's – yeah, this is a game where TCU can attack the middle of the field, the sidelines, wherever they want, and let Duggan throw the daggum ball. I kind of – I mean, this is what started at Baylor, and then they pulled the plug and almost got beat. But I, I want them to go into this game and say, hey, what's our offensive identity? What are our four bread and butter pass plays? What are our four bread and butter run plays? Let's run those until they stop it. And then let's start playing around. Um, and let's just like do what we do really, really well. And I feel like TCU is so caught up in these hypothetical, theoretical um, competitive advantages. And, and, and they're entirely defined by what the other defense might do instead of what they do well. And that's what's really frustrating, um, especially when you see them, you know, run a drive where it's like, hey, we're going to get the ball to Pro Wells, Tay Barber, and Quentin Johnston downfield quickly in run-pass option situations, and we're going to move the ball really, really well. And then when we get to the two-yard line, hey, we have a stable of incredible running backs that are going to shove it down your throat. Do that against Texas Tech because their secondary is really, really bad. Don't throw two touchdown passes and then say, okay, Pack it up. See you later. We want the W. The W is good. I like wins. Wins are fine. Wins are going to determine whether we have to go to the first responder bowl and get killed by Kent State or whether we get to go to the Texas Bowl and play an SEC school or something cool. So I, I think that inherently limits our ceiling. But more importantly, your offense is bad. You should take these reps as an opportunity to improve your offense. I don't know why I have to say that out loud. I don't know why that is something that we're even considering because it seems so patently obvious. I really like what you said about TC focusing on what the defense may give instead of actually what they're good at on offense. Um, the only other thing I have to say about Tech, Parker, did you see that freaking punt that Austin McNamara had last week against Oklahoma? Yes. What did it, what did it end up being? 87 yards. yards. Oh my gosh. 87-yard punt. That is a hell of a punt. Man, Jordy Sandy could never. That's that's hold on. Now that, that's that's unfair. Now Batnamara's grade. Yes, I was prepared to talk about. Are this. you about to cite a punter grade at me? I'm so <laughs> yes, happy. Yes, I am. Do this, please do this. <laughs> Batnamara's grade is seventy six point two. Now that is slightly better than uh, 
a Jordy Sandy who is at a 68.5. So it was only half away from the magic number. But uh, Jordy Sandy has pinned opponents inside their own 20 18 times, and only 12.9% of his punts have been returned. So his hang time, you know, could combine with all the, you know, it's, it's, listen, Jordy Sandy's a good putter. Now, the problem is TC's punt return team is not good. Uh, well, since Spielman's been out. No, no, no. I'm talking about like punt coverage team. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they've allowed four returns for an average of 17.8 yards per return. I think that may be a little bit inflated by uh, – I think Mims had a really good return last week, if I remember correctly, uh, or two weeks ago it's Oklahoma. But um, Jordy Sandy's a good punter. I agree. I rest I'm, my case. I'm, I'm here for the Jordy, San, Jordy Sandy love. Okay, do you want to do Twitter questions? Yeah, let's do some Twitter questions. I could rant and rave about the same four things for, you know, another hour. But um, uh, one of the – okay, so I'm filtering through some of these questions that are asking your trolls. Do you expect TCU to cover the spread this weekend, and why is your answer no? That's from now still confused TCU fan, uh, listener, friend of the program. So the line that I have seen is TCU minus nine and a half. You think TCU's covering that? Man alive. I, I, I do because I think tech is worse than Baylor. And so I, and TCU beat Baylor by 10. Uh, so I, I'm willing to take TCU there. I'm not, I'm expecting them to not cover and it to be entirely self-inflicted. Uh, Daniel, that, was, <laughs> that was uplifting. Jesus Christ. Look, man, everyone dies. Uh, Daniel Duncan uh, uh, asks us, uh, convince me that the Texas Tech game isn't a must-win. TCU hasn't won back-to-back conference games since 2018, and they're a solid home favorite. So this is a good pull on the TCU hasn't won back-to-back games. They're also a solid home favorite, and they've been very bad at home. Gary Patterson mentioned that in the press conference on Tuesday. I don't know what must win means in the context of a coach who's not going anywhere until he gets 200 wins. So I, I don't know what must win means. I, I, I think that I'm prone to say, if you can't win this game, what are we doing? I would, so I will have more about this. This is kind of the primary focus of the storylines part of my column that comes out tomorrow. But yes, it is a must win. Because this season, there is nothing to salvage from this season if TCU does not win this game. Point blank. So it is a must-win game. I think that's, I think that's fair. Because um, the only other victories you can earn are Kansas, or, or, excuse me, Kansas, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State. And if TCU loses to Texas Tech, they're not going to beat Oklahoma State. Oh, I think, so, I think actually if TCU... <laughs> Oh, well, that's know, actually some a, weird now, perverse now, mojo. Now, now, on second thought, you might. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, no, I, I, I this is a must-win game. It, it is, it is, it is in the sense that like TCU should win the games they should win, and they have a pattern of losing games they should win, winning games they have no business winning. It's the weirdest thing, and you just want to see them come out and and just take control of the game that they should take control of. I'll say it. I'm going on the record. Texas Tech is bad. I don't know if that's yes. a hot take. But you just, gosh dang it. Why can't you just go beat the snot out of a bad team? Which was what kind of was really weird about last, gosh, was it last year? When TCU beat the snot out of Kansas and, like, scored on the final play of the game for no reason whatsoever. 
I, I would rather have that, like do weird things like that. And instead, uh, anyway, it's very, very frustrating. Um, I have one here from, uh, from our friend at Gail MK uh, Two actually, what's your biggest fear? Not in life in the game on Saturday. And there are a lot of good rivalry trophies because it's very apparent that the TCU Tech saddle of success is number one. What are your other favorite best trophies out there between teams? Okay, well, I have an immediate answer to that. Michigan and Minnesota play for a jug, and that is funny they as do. hell. What, who, who plays for the pig? Floyd of a uh, – I think this also involves Minnesota. Um, let me see. Minnesota, I imagine it's so cold. You just got to gotta get these trophies out there. Um, Iowa-Minnesota is, uh, yes, it's a 98-pound bronze pig trophy named Floyd of Rosedale. So that is my favorite trophy. Well, that's certainly something you can do. The other one that I'm, I'm very prone, uh, I like, is Arkansas and LSU play for a boot because Arkansas stacked on top of LSU yep. kind of looks like a boot, and so I think that's funny. I also want to give a shout out to the UConn UCF civil conflict trophy, which has been lost to history. Yeah. Well, it's worth it. I I tweeted this the other day, but it's worth noting TCU, Texas tech, the saddle was lost in like 1970 and no one said anything about it. And then in 2017, they were like, here's a new one. 2017. They had played like five times in the big 12 before they decided, Hey, we should probably find this trophy. I also, and this is extremely niche, I am partial to the uh, the Stanford Axe, which is given to the winner of the big game, Stanford, uh, California, because, uh, like, what a Tiger Woods' first tweets was, uh, you know, the Axe is back in Palo Alto where it belongs. And, like, that was it. And, like, 2010 when celebs didn't really know how to tweet, and also he was, like, going through a severe, like, uh, PR disaster. So that the Axe has always stuck out to me as a, as a personal favorite. That's a good, uh, a good cultural. Uh, yeah, that's great. What was the, what was the other question that he had? The what, more serious one. What's your biggest fear in the game on Saturday? That TCU lets Stonefoot Henry Columbia scramble for two hundred yards. That's fair. Mine is that they uh, fall into the trap of just trying to get every single yard through routes to the flat, and uh, instead there's ten bubble screens, and Duggan doesn't throw anything past six yards down the field but they ran rpos so you can't criticize them um (laughs) i'm not gonna comment i'm not going to comment on that uh team radar love asks us uh, he doesn't listen i don't care whatever um i don't know if you've got the numbers offhand but in a series of weird matchups between tcu and texas tech what is the weirdest and so we kind of verged on that earlier this uh earlier this thing but if you had to pick what's what's the weirdest tcu texas tech game uh of the big 12 era let's say where where are you going weirdness is the fox um but second place is like it's 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 not even the 55 52 or the 82 27 it's that year where like TCU played Texas Tech with Patrick Mahomes and lost and only gave up 27 points. I don't know how that happened. See, that was the same season that, like, Mahomes put up 60-whatever in that really, really good game against Oklahoma where he had Mayfield, which is trading shots. And it was that's one of the most boring college football games I've ever been to in person. It was not great. I'm actually saying that the 82 is, is profoundly weird for TCU. Like, I, I, I just – that doesn't happen. Even in 2014, all their blowouts were like max 50 points. TCU with the playoff on the line pulled back and wouldn't score 60 against Iowa State in 2014. Like 
Gary Patterson does not like to score 60 points if he can help it. And he laid the wood in that game intentionally, just kind of restored some order and, and laid down 82 points. That is profoundly weird for TCU. Do you think that TCU's offensive woes are because Gary Patterson is so polite that he doesn't want to outscore teams by a lot? Polite is a big word. What's the next question? Uh, I have uh, from friend of the pod and noted Texas Tech graduate Will Brasher. Will you be acknowledging what is perhaps the greatest dynasty in the history of collegiate competition? Texas Tech has just won its 58th national meat judging championship. I don't know that I would trust a person from Lubbock to judge my meat. I'd prefer. (laughs) Is that more of a Texas A&M kind of scenario? I would even say like I'd prefer a large person from Alabama to judge my meat over uh, someone from Texas Tech. I've never been to Lubbock. I have been to Amarillo and the entire place smelled like a rodeo barn. Which don't get me wrong, we we love the hardy rodeo people of America. Oh, Um, my God, yes. I was in 4-H. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Is this, did they win a meat judging competition in that their meat was judged well? No. Did they win a meat judging competition in the fact that it was like, here's good meat and bad meat, but you don't know, pick the right one. And they were just like, you judged the hell out of that meat. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. so it is. It's a collegiate event, um, and basically they, they judge meat. So someone else has meat. I, I assume a professional meat judger lays down kind of like a, a rubric or whatever, and then they they're in the meat cooler, and they're they're judging the hell out of this meat, and whoever accurately judges the meat the best uh, wins. And they've won fifteen, and they're an absolute dynasty in the in the field. Insane. Can you imagine going back to medieval times and explaining to someone like, like the medieval era being like, Hey, you know how you guys are generally hungry and malnourished most of the time. And sometimes you get lucky and kill a boar and get to eat. Well, what we do is we take different animals that we killed very easily because we've domesticated them and we judge the quality of them. And then we judge people on their ability to judge the quality of the surplus of meat we have. Uh, modernity is truly a gift is all I'll say about I'm, that. I'm sure they still eat the meat. Uh, that, that should be like, okay, like you didn't win the meat judging competition, but also this brisket is delicious. So you at least get some points. Um, Absolutely. I have a question from, uh, uh, let's see, Matt Jennings asked about Savion Williams. I don't know why he's not on the field, Matt. Uh, Parker and I are very upset about that. Do you have any more questions? Uh, Jamie asked how Ford passes work, but I've got to do some more research on that one. So, I'm not familiar um, with the concept. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's let's do best case, worst case, and get out of here. All right, let's do it. Uh, let's start worst case and then go to bed. You, yeah, know, we, you know how yeah. we do. We're optimists. Um, worst case is that this is one of those inexplicable games, right? So it's 24-17 somehow, even though none of the math says that you know, Tech's defense should be able to slow down TC's offense, even though TC's offense isn't that good, right? It's, it's going to be really weird which is what I say every week, but it's also true every week because they refuse to play normal games. So I, I think worst case is that the offense doesn't get anything going and more to the point, they don't try to get anything going. They rely on the run, they rely on short passes to the flat and they don't exploit Texas Tech safeties. Uh, meanwhile, TCU tries to blitz too much and that allows uh, Columbia to pick apart TCU with the routes that you mentioned, Parker. And so this winds up being 28-20 Texas Tech. 
Yeah, I, I don't see a world where, where Texas Tech scores a ton of points, but I do see a world where Texas Tech scores and TCU doesn't, which is frustrating because, let me tell you, your defense doesn't have to be good for TCU to find a way to, to not score. So, um, yeah, I, I think I could definitely see this being a what-the-hell game. I think TCU's field position is pretty bad and their offensive success is pretty bad. So you could say, hey – uh, a returner gets ambitious. TCU finds himself, you know, first and 10 from the 15 yard line, starting out drives. They're not very successful. They can't score. They're constantly punting to try and flip the field. And Texas tech does just enough to come out by, you know, a touchdown or, or 10 points. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Uh, and I, so, but I'll, I'll say best case too. And I think this is almost, you know, I don't know, it's not close to what I'm going to predict, but I, I think there's an opportunity for TCU to go up big in this game early and find a middle ground between completely pulling the ripcord like they did against Baylor and putting up 82. Uh, I, I think the second half, if TCU gets up big early, maybe a little bit more of, hey, we'll take this as a proving ground and not necessarily try deep shots down the field, but – try to run more creative short routes, run more innovative running formations, stuff like that, and still continue to try to score, even if not on big plays. So best case scenario, you could see something like TCU's up, you know, 28 to, to six at the half, and then winds up winning, you know, 42 to, to 14 or something like that. Definitely. I think that I want to say something crazy, like a Savion Williams touchdown, but – Honestly, the dude has one target. So I would just say if he gets multiple targets in this game, that will be indicative of TCU saying, hey, we're doing well. Well, and, and barring injury. I don't want anyone in front of him to get hurt because that's course, also way good on the field. But saying, um, hey, in, in, instead of you know running, running back checkdowns, whatever, we're going to get our young guys on the field and get them some reps. We're up by enough that we feel comfortable doing this. So uh, I think best case scenario is, is Savion Williams gets a couple of targets. And uh, Zach Evans catches a touchdown pass. I think, I think that yes. is what's going to restore order and balance to the force for TCU. Um, and, and so I've been hoping for that for a couple weeks now. And I, I think best case scenario, both of those guys get involved in the passing game and TCU comes out with, you know, something respectable, 35-3, uh, you know, even, even 30, 31-14, something that's, um, not crazy, but decisive, and they took some risks uh, in the in the later part of the game. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's completely possible. Before I give my official prediction, um, I just saw a video on Twitter where a Buffalo player scooped, scored, and then ran to the sideline and puked against the wall. So things are going great in Northern Illinois uh, and Buffalo. Um, so. Prediction-wise, give me – let's see, the line is 9 or 10. I'm going to take TCU 38, Texas Tech 17. Uh, this is a Fetty Whopping, and, uh, and TCU comes out on top. Can you, uh, can you explain a Fetty Whopping to uh, – what is that? He, he's, a, he's a guy that sings uh, Trap Queen, and uh, in the beginning he, he represents – I can't remember which, which group it is, but uh, he goes 17, 38 – and uh, so that's a that's a fetty whopping. Uh, noted oh, ringer. A... Yes, it's from a song, Parker. Oh. Uh, made, made since the year two thousand, so you probably haven't heard it. Uh, and shout out to noted ringer writer Roger Sherman, who has uh, embraced the concept and always tweets about it. Nice. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of liking my model. My model has TCU, you know, like 28 to 25. I'm going to adjust that to make that a little more feasible and say 27, 24, um, is, is where I think this ends up. I think TCU makes a drive and kicks a field goal to win just because this game has been stupid in the past and why would it make sense this year? Um, so I think TCU one score win. Yeah, I, I, I think the gulf between the teams is wider than that, but I also agree that that does not necessarily translate to what's actually going to happen on the field. Can we, and before you give the, the sign off, we still haven't talked about David Yost's hair, by the way. I don't think I can see David Yost's hair. I'm Googling it. Please do. Is it worse is than Holgo? Yes. It's Wait, Tech's offensive coordinator. David Yost, American actor who played Billy Cranston in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? No, no, no. That's the Texas him. Tech offensive coordinator, David Yost. Wasn't David Yost also the coach in Remember the Titans? Uh, maybe. I don't know. But please look at this man's hair. I'm begging you. His name was definitely Yost. Okay, here we go. I've got, I've got his official picture from TexasTech.com. Oh, this is not the direction I thought it was going. It's, so, it's like a middle part like a shag rug on top of yeah um interesting i mean it's cool that he can do that i guess it it is adventurous not I, I many people picture. have hair that old you know that old um yeah that is uh that is not what i expected a power five college football uh offensive coordinator to look like he looks like like a Fred Armisen character that like I don't know not Fred Armisen well, uh, uh, not Fred Armisen he's the guy that played a uh, um, MacGruber on SNL Jason um, Sudeikis no 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 he he wasn't MacGruber he was a uh, oh I'm I'm blowing this but anyway yes I I encourage you all to go Google David Yost hair it. ESPN or Fox, I can't remember which one, flashed a graphic during Tech's first game of the season. I almost took a picture of it, of his hair throughout the years. And it is jarring. It is incredible. Interesting. It's Will Forte. It's McGruber. Will Forte, thank you. I agree. He does look like a McGruber character. Um, All right. Well, a a, a fun weekend of college football ahead of us. Hopefully a game where TCU can kind of say, here's what we're good at and here's what we're going to do uh, and oppose our will and and win over over a rival. I'll go so far as to say that Texas Tech is a uh, a rival. We'll have a, a, a newsletter for you tomorrow morning, some Q&A probably on Friday, um, and then be around for the game. Looking forward to whatever the heck is going to happen when TCU and Texas Tech play, because honestly, no one in the world has any idea. Um, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. You can find me on Twitter at StatsOWar. And uh, my co-host, as always, is Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. You can find him on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribed to the Purple theory newsletter to get all of the uh the the latest in-depth uh analysis about tcu football uh until saturday um go frogs go frogs